Good afternoon and uh, welcome once again. Thank you for staying. Uh, if you could turn with me, please, to the uh, prophecy of Zephaniah. The prophecy of Zephaniah after the prophecy of Habakkuk. And we'll start with chapter 1, verse 1. Prophecy of Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hizkiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now may the Lord bless the reading of his precious word and all subsequent readings. Um, <clears throat> if you'll recall, the last time I was here, we spoke on Habakkuk. And um, uh, when, when I started looking into Zephaniah, actually, it was a time when um, the whole family was down with the flu. And it was actually quite a nice source of encouragement for me. And uh, I thought... Uh, I'd like to share a few thoughts about this. Now, the book of Zephaniah, um, and we'll hopefully have time to read through the entire prophecy as we go through, but um, it's essentially split into a couple of parts which repeat itself. So you have the introduction in verse 1, and then you go into the uh, uh, what I will call the will of the Lord. It talks about the judgment upon Jerusalem, and then it expounds, in, that's from verses 2 to 6, and then from verses 7 to, uh, I think to the end of the chapter, it goes on to about the day of the Lord, and then from chapter 2, it moves from judgment upon Jerusalem, it moves to judgment upon the nations, and it goes from, that's the whole of chapter 2, and then it moves into chapter 3. It goes back to uh, Jerusalem again, and then it talks again back to the judgment on the nations uh, in the middle of chapter 3. So you have 1 to 6 uh, of chapter 3, back to a judgment on Jerusalem, and then back to chap- uh, verse 7, a judgment back onto the nations, and then you have the, uh, the restoration from verses nine onwards to the end. And um, why I particularly enjoyed Zephaniah was, if you recall how Habakkuk was, um, Habakkuk was uh, conflicted about what was going on, and he received some prophecies from the Lord, and at the end he, um, he, he gained comfort from himself, and he said, you know, despite all these things, um, you know, if you recall verse 18 at the end of Habakkuk, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will join in the God of my salvation. Now, uh, Zephaniah, towards the end, has that. It's an instruction from the Lord. Uh, you have that in verse 14, saying, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. So it has this as an instruction, but it also has... Um, in verse 17, I think this is um, sort of a, one of the key verses in Zephaniah. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. 
He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. And he will joy over thee with singing. And I thought, how wonderful you have in one side, where no matter what we go through in, in Habakkuk, you know that we can rejoice in the Lord. But here we have in Zephaniah, we also have the Lord rejoices in us. And, and this is despite all that we read in the earlier parts of Zephaniah. So... <clears throat> Uh, before we, I go in a little bit, so some background uh, on Zephaniah. Um, when was this written? Now, this was probably written, um, as we can see here, in the time of Josiah, uh, the son of Ammon. Now, uh, Josiah, as you know, was a very young king, and he kind of had two periods of his reign. And in the latter part of his reign, we see him trying to restore uh, the kingdom of Judah. And so... Um, a lot of uh, commentators think that this is probably written in the latter part, and this refers to chapter, uh, sorry, chapter one, verse four, where you can see the Lord says uh, towards the end, "And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place." And so you have a remnant because there has been a start in the restoration process. Um, now, in terms of Zephaniah. Uh, we don't really know a lot about Zephaniah. I believe there are at least three others called Zephaniah in our Bible. But in terms of this particular Zephaniah, what's unusual about him is that he refers to not, uh, you know, typically they'll go back about, you know, two or three generations. But he actually goes back all the way to his great great grandfather. Why is it important? Well, you see that at the end, he's the son of Hezekiah. So he was the son of a king. So he's royalty. And um, although we don't really read much of the intervening generations, he was a person who was of royal blood, and he was giving out this prophecy. Um, so that, I think that's pretty much all we know about Zephaniah. And you can see throughout this uh, prophecy, there's a lot of um, uh, repetitions that uh, you know are, are very useful for us. So, as we read from verse two to six, you can see there are six I wills. So the Lord then says, "I will utterly consume all things from off the land," saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. Verse 4, I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. In the name of the Chemerims uh, with the priests, that's the idolatrous priests, and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops, and them that worship and swear, that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm, and them that are turned back from the Lord and those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. Uh, now in my introduction I did forget to also mention why I, put, why I enjoyed this <coughs> book of uh, Zephaniah was that as, as you kind of read it you can realize that oh you know it, even though it's such a small book it really links to a lot of pieces and so we read there in verse 2 to 6 and we can see here how you know there's an illustration which is very uh, similar to what we will remember in, in Genesis chapter 6 and you see that the Lord talking about the destruction although in Genesis 6 we have the destruction of everything save for um, Noah and the family 
you see here that the situation is similar. What is driving it? Well, it's all this idolatry that's occurring. And you see there that, um, that instead of focusing just upon the Lord our God, how the, the Israelites at that time, what were they trying to do? They were saying, oh, well, you know, in verse 5, uh, I think I can worship and swear by the Lord, and I can also at the same time swear by Malcolm. Now, Malcolm is uh, an Amorite uh, idol, and uh, I think they're. Um, actually, I should take up my notes. Um, uh, Malcolm is referred to in as a few other names throughout the Bible, but uh, uh, you know, here, here are people who say, "Well, you know." I, I think I, I will, you know, I'll pray to God, but also pray to all these things. And you see that, that, that it, it creates a problem. And God says, this is not acceptable. And, and then it continues then into verse 7. Uh, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And um, this is the first occurrence within this prophecy of the phrase, the day of the Lord. Now, um, I, I believe some of you may have gone to the Pentecostal Gospel Hall, and I understand that. I think the, uh, there was a message on the book of Joel. And when I think of the word day of the Lord, I always think immediately of the prophecy of Joel. But I, I was surprised to find that actually Zephaniah is the, is, is the prophecy that refers to the day of the Lord the most times throughout it. And really because there's a lot of uh, discussion of, of the day of judgment because again, as I said, you know, we're talking about judgment on Jerusalem, judgment on the nation, then back to Jerusalem and then back to the nations again. What's going to happen? So that's why this phrase occurs multiple times in this prophecy. And um, we see here in verse 7 and the second part, for the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests and verse eight, and it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. And uh, the phrase here uh, reminded me a lot about uh, the occurrence which our Lord spoke about the parable in, in well, not parable uh, the well the parable actually in, in Matthew chapter twenty two when. Um, I should probably read it, just so I don't misspeak. So Matthew chapter 22. And we'll read from verse 8 for context. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Verse 9, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And then here's the verse, verse 11, And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither? not having a wedding garment, and he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And 
we see there that at the end, all is prepared. We know the Lord has already given His sacrifice. And we are supposed to be clothed by the blood of the Lamb. And there were those willing to come, not with the correct apparel. And this word there, strange apparel, uh, the word strange actually first appears the first time in Genesis 35 verse 2, right, where Jacob talks about strange gods, and really you can see the relationship. You know, do we come in with things of the world outside from God, and you see that it is not acceptable to God? <clears throat> and when we talk about what should we be clothed with instead, the Bible tells us that we should be clothed. With humility, um, and then we we'll go to nine and ten. In the same day, also will I punish all those that leap on the threshold, which fill their masters' houses with violence and deceit. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate, and a howling from the second, and a great crashing from the hills. And so we see the continuation of the judgment upon those who are away from God. Um, and then, just because uh, I, I thought it was quite interesting to read, you know, a little bit more about the fish gate. The fish gate it was actually built by um, the king Manasseh back in Second uh, Chronicles thirty-three fourteen. And uh, although we're not really certain about where it is, but we think that. Uh, uh, it's probably about the north side of Jerusalem. And you can see that there was probably an attack coming in. And there's a destruction of Jerusalem coming in. Uh, howling from the second. Now I guess there's some disagreement whether that refers to a second gate or the inner part of the city of Jerusalem. And uh, verse 11. How ye inhabitants of Matesh. Now Matesh there is a... Uh, a district within Jerusalem itself. Um, uh, read in the second part. For all the merchant people are cut down. Uh, in Judges 15:19, uh, Machdash is actually, uh, I think, translated as hollow place, but is it, you know, potentially it's a place of uh, merchants. Uh, and you see that all they that bear silver are cut off. And uh, this is an appropriate time where I, was, uh, I should mention that I think that the book of Zephaniah has a lot of relationship with the epistle of James. And uh, the epistle of James in chapter 5 actually makes specific reference to these merchants. So I'll just read that for you. James chapter 5 and verse 1 says... Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. And we see God providing judgment against those in Jerusalem, those who came with strange apparel against those who were focused not on God but upon material wealth. And that's a reminder for us 
Um, we see very much so in, you know, in this book a, a very gospel slant, but it's something for us to remind ourselves that uh, as the Lord himself said, you know, where is our treasure? There our heart is also. So what, you know, what is our focus? And this, uh, we see it you know, later on in this book that there are people who trust in silver and gold. And the question is, where do we put our trust in times of trouble? Uh, and then verse 12, And it shall come to pass at a time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees, that say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. And uh, two thoughts came to me. This morning we, we considered a lot about the good shepherd and how he would, he would um, leave the 99 to look for the one. And when you think of this candle, uh, it, it reminds us also of the lady who, who lost her coin and she, she took a candle to, to search diligently until she found it and then went out and tell, told everyone. But it's interesting, you see, God doesn't just search for the lost and the saved. He also searches those who don't do good. That's what this tells me. It tells me that there's no escape from the judgment of God. There are people who think that, okay, you know, well, don't, don't worry, you know, I somehow I'll be able to squirrel away. And, and really there isn't. He will search diligently for them. And he's going to punish, who are these men? These are men that are settled on their leaves. Now that's, that's not a term that I, I particularly understood. Now I, I think the term means, uh, it has to do with the fermentation process of wine. And uh, when, when you have wine fermentation, you know, you have some sediment at the bottom. And, you know, I, I think... If you, if you go to a winery, I think what they do is they tend to turn the bottles of wine so that there's no sediment layers. And these are people who are so, so comfortable with life, so satisfied with their lot that they were settled. You know, they, they said, wow, you know, God's not really going to come and do anything after me. Uh, you know, he says that, you know, he's not going to do good, neither will he do evil. And, and I think, you know, it's not just a reflection of those times. We see that in our day and age, that really is a reflection of our times. There are people who, you know, scoffers in these last days, right? Say, ah, the Bible, what is them? You see all these evil going on, you know, is there really a God? Well, there is. And just because God is gracious with us, doesn't mean He isn't going to exact the judgment. And that's what this part is saying. That He's specifically going to look out for all these people. Now verse 13, Therefore the goods shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but not inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. Again, so these are people who have labored for all these material things, and they don't get to enjoy any of them. Thou fool, this day shall this be gone of thee. So, verse 14, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly even the voice of the day of the Lord the mighty man shall cry there bitterly and so this this was a cry for repentance it's coming the day of the Lord is coming and uh, uh, the reason why I said I thought this book tied in quite nicely with James was we read James chapter 5 earlier and 
they talked about the uh, the merchant men and how they trusted. But there was also a message in James for the believer. And you see a little further down in James chapter 5, it, it tells this. On the other hand, verse 7, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and had long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And isn't that something that that can warm our hearts and, and draw us to... Because we'll read later on in Zephaniah, you know, the, that great day of the Lord, it's, it's a terrible day of judgment. But there's no need for that worry for us. For us, the coming of the Lord is a wondrous thing. And we'll see there as we continue um, in verse 15 onwards that, uh, that Zephaniah goes in to explain what the day of the Lord entails. And, and there's a lot of uh, linkage with uh, Joel chapter 2. As you can see there, uh, verse 15, that day is a day of wrath, wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. Um, and uh, you know, so they're kind of six description. Of, of the days there, and uh, there's, it doesn't exactly match up. But I thought that you know, if you read like Revelation chapter eight, there's 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 some similarities to the the seven trumpets uh, that are being mentioned there. And uh, in verse seventeen, uh, and I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. And so we see there that these are people who walk like blind men. And um, in in Ephesians chapter four verse eighteen, it, it talks about the blindness of man's hearts. And I wonder how many of us sometimes we you know we. We're, I mean, we're saved, so we're not like these men. But sometimes we temporarily blind ourselves, and and how wondrous it was for Paul, who was against God, and he was blinded for a while. But when the scales fell off, he could see. You know, uh, just something for us to to appreciate. I think uh, verse eighteen again, reminder of neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of God's wrath. Now, I guess my I'm going a little slower than I thought I would. Uh, so, moving to chapter 2, um, <clears throat> running short on time. So, uh, we'll not have time to read it, but it starts out, and uh, you can see that it's a judgment in chapter 2 against the nations. And uh, it's against the, the Gentile nations. It starts against the Philistines. Uh, in fact, there's specific mention there. In uh, verse four, on the four major city in the Philistine of the Philistines, rather, and uh, it, it, he talks about the Philistines. He talks about Moab. He talks about the uh, in verse twelve the Ethiopians or the Cushites, and then in verse thirteen he talks about uh, Assyria. And he, you know, uh, it, it's really all four directions 
out from the city of Jerusalem, nor, uh, you know, east, west, uh, north, and south. So, sorry, south and north. And, and it means that there's no escape. Judgment is going out against all these people. And, you know, they've all done things against the Lord. And it's just a call to say that, you know, no one is going to be able to escape. Uh, uh, I guess one thing that was probably worth pointing out in verse 11 the Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth. And men shall worship him, every one from his place, even all the isles of the heathen. And so you see, there will come that time. So even despite all the destruction upon the Gentile nations, there's prophecy here that says there will come a time when the Gentiles will be, you know, they will be worshiping God in every place. Uh, so move quickly to chapter 3 so uh, again here we uh, so a little bit of uh, detail of uh, woe onto the city of Jerusalem again woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city she obeyed not the voice she received not correction she trusted not in the Lord she drew not near to her God now uh, it isn't clear to that, but the, the tone switches back from talking about the Gentile nations back to Jerusalem, and we see there there's just a, a continued recrimination against you know what they've been doing, which is idolatry. And you see there that in verse five, the just Lord is in the midst thereof; He will not do iniquity. So there's a, there's such a large contrast there between what God is; He's perfect; He's just and <clears throat> there's all you know Jerusalem is just uh, not appreciating what God has is and, and and isn't bowing down to worship God and then before I forget uh, Ah, sorry, I apologize. I'm going to go back a little bit to, to chapter 2. There was one thing I wanted to mention. The, the, like I said, the, the, the prophecy of Zephaniah kind of reaches out, I think, into, to all the other minor prophets. Uh, verse 1 talks about, uh, Ye gathered together, O nation not desired. And I thought that the term that nation not desired just reminded me a little bit of uh, the prophecy of Hosea. Uh, we had there, you know, God... Um, calling the Israelites uh, Loami, not my people. And, you know, how, how terrible it is to be in that position. Um, and, and yet, you know, in Hosea we had the change from Loami to Ami, from a group of people who God would say, you are not my people, to, back, to be able to say that you are my people. And of course, we, we know very much so that we're able to approach God, not because of anything we have done, but because of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, verse 9 of chapter 3, uh, For then I will turn to the people 
a pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve Him with one consent. And um, now, the, I was just talking to to Miami earlier, and you know how when when you read the Bible, there there are many meanings to this, and you know there. I think you could kind of think about this in in three ways. Uh, in verse nine, you know, when God says to His people, He will turn them a pure language. Uh, some people think that it's it's um, uh, one language with regards to God. Uh, you know, a way to worship Him, uh, which you can take it as as the gospel. Or uh, if you think back of Genesis chapter 9 and the Tower of Babel where, you know, language uh, was was brought out, you know, we, we're, we're all sitting here from many different countries, you know we have different languages, so is there a point when you have one language and you can see a little bit of that at Pentecost when people kind of had uh, speaking with different tongues, but there's a thought there of a pure language being pure lips and and I think that's a call to us, you know, you know, what is the purpose of us here? What is the purpose of us is that in the second part of verse 9 of chapter 3, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord. That's what language is for. That's why we're able to speak. And that's why there will come a time when, you know, our sole occupation is to call upon the name of the Lord and to serve Him with one consent. Uh, just verse 10, From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my disperse, shall bring mine offering. And so, earlier in chapter 2, it talks about what happens to Ethiopia, but yet there will come a time, I think, I was looking forward, when the, even the Gentile nations will come back and worship God. And uh, verse 13, The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. Um, so again, as in you can see through this book of Zephaniah, there's uh, parts which we have seen prop, uh, fulfilled. We've seen the destruction of Jerusalem, the actual city. But we also see that the, there is still fairly forward-looking even in our time. Uh, so, just, so verse 13 ties in with uh, the book of Revelation chapter 14, the 144,000 who uh, will speak no lie. So there's still an element of future fulfillment in here. And chapter 14... Sorry, this is getting a little bit disjointed, and I apologize. I'm just throwing facts at you guys rather than having a jointed message. But the end of 14 to 20 really is, in my opinion, kind of how you know it ends on a very high note. It says there, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. And... And that's something that's for our consideration at any time, really, because that applies to us. Uh, you know, at the end of Corinthians, we read that you know 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For us, the Lord has done everything. For us, we can be glad and rejoice with all our hearts. He has taken away all our judgments. So that's a call to us to rejoice. And you know that ties in with Philippians 4.4. But as I pointed out earlier, I think it was so wondrous that it's not just us rejoicing, but in verse 17, the Lord Himself is also rejoicing over us with joy. And verse 16 says, you know, in that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear thou not. And, you know, First uh, John chapter 4, uh, 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Perfect love casteth out fear. And and this is written by the disciple who, when he first saw the Lord in, in Revelation, said, Fear thou not. And so he learned from that. And so, you know, it's something for us to learn. God continually tells us, Fear thou not. And it's only coming from perfect love. And we have the ability to learn more about that perfect love through the Word of God. And uh, the tone there switches a little bit from verse 17, from 18 to 20, to be a little bit more uh, personal again. Behold, at that time I will do undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that hateth, and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame at a time. Will I bring you again in that time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth, when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. And you will notice that when we began in Zephaniah chapter 1, it was six I wills that were of destruction. But we end with a, six I wills that are wondrous. He, I will gather, I will save, I will get them. Will I bring, I will make you a name. And so, God will mete out judgment to those who don't worship Him. How wondrous that we have these wonderful promises here instead. So, I hope um, that uh, it's not as usual been, uh, as, as usual for me, anyway, that it's a little bit disjointed, but uh, that you'll take a little bit from here, that you'll uh, want to go back, and I'm sure you'll find out even more on the book of Zephaniah. Let we pray. I got in our Father, we give